The scripture reading for this morning comes from select passages from John chapter 6, verse 1 through 51. Verse 3. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 26. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 47. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is God's word. For the past month, we've been looking at the Gospel according to John. And the Gospel of John answers the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? The center, central question in all of our lives, in all of history. And this is a famous passage, a famous miracle for that matter, the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospel accounts. But it's really interesting, and I have to remind us, that in the Gospel according to John, no miracle stands alone. There's not, there isn't a great emphasis on the miracle itself. There's always a teaching that precedes the miracle, that explains the miracle, or a teaching after the miracle to explain the miracle. There's a much greater emphasis on the teaching of the miracle more so than the miracle itself. And so we're going to look at this today. The first part of the text, verses 1 to 13, is the actual miracle. Verses 25 to the end of the teaching is... Uh, is the teaching or the lesson about the miracle. And what's the lesson? 
We see it in verse 35. We see it in verse 41. We see it in verse 48. We see it in verse 51. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. What does that mean? There are three quick points today. The miracle, the teaching, very simple. The miracle, the teaching, how we apply it. The miracle, the teaching, how we apply it. First, we're going to look at the miracle. Verses 1 to 13. Here are the disciples. They were sent off to perform miracles, actually. Before this incredible narrative, the disciples were actually off performing miracles on their own. And they had just returned when a great crowd was following Jesus up a mountainside. And there he was, he was teaching them. And they were all hungry. There were about 5,000 of them. Now, we know that there's 5,000. That's the men. That's the count of the men. There were probably even more than that because they usually didn't count or include women or children in that count. And so Jesus asks this disciple, Philip, uh, where he could buy bread for everybody. And Philip says, buy bread. Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of these people to even have one bite. And then we have this other disciple who brings a boy who's got five small barley loaves, which was really intended as food for horses back then. So it was a very poor boy, a pauper boy. Five loaves and two fish. And he's skeptical. And he says, well, how far is this going to take us? What are we going to do? What does he do? Jesus has everybody sit down. He gives thanks to the Father. And he feeds everybody with bread and fish. And everyone eats until they're full. And when they're finished, it says that there are 12 baskets left over. It's probably one of the most publicly recorded uh, miracle in the Gospels. And, and what does it mean? This is, because it's publicly so public, we know that this lesson was intended for everybody to hear. 12 baskets left over, representing that there's an abundant amount of provision from Christ. And whenever you see the number 12, it's represented 12 tribes, 12 disciples, the entire church, the church of God. What's the lesson? The lesson's about the power of God working through weakness, the power of God working through our hunger, our insufficiency, our, efficiency, our, our helplessness, our powerlessness. Jesus uses an insignificant boy to do something that is absolutely impossible, which shows us that Jesus is sufficient where we feel insufficient. Jesus is powerful when we are powerless. Jesus is the way when we are lost. They're on a mountainside. They're in the wilderness. But if you notice, verse 10, it says there's plenty of grass there. What we see here is the beginning of the reversal of the wilderness, the reversal of the curse. They're on this mountainside, this wilderness, and Jesus has them sit on grass. It means that with Jesus, we have safety. With Jesus, there's security. With Jesus, there's always pasture. With Jesus, there's always provision. There's always filling. He says, I am the bread of life. Now, the last time this happened, it was in the Old Testament. The people of God were wandering in the desert, and God, res- you know, God had rescued the Israelites from slavery, and they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and God provides them bread. Now, if you think about what's a wilderness, what's a desert? A desert is a dead place. A wilderness is a barren place, a place where there's no life, where nothing can be sustained. And here the people are dry, and they're hungry, and they're left for dead, it seems like. In Exodus chapter 16, God provides bread. And he tells them, gives them specific instructions. He says, I want you to gather just as much as you need for the day. This bread would appear in the morning. Gather as much as you need for the day. You'll have just enough. If you saved any more than you needed, if you acted greedily, it would spoil. There'll be, it'll rot. There'll be maggots. And he called the bread manna. Centuries later, we see another wilderness. 
And here's Jesus. He's in, and he, he's in this barren place, and he feeds his people with bread. And it's abundant, and it's overflowing. There's more than enough, you see. It's a culmination. It's a fulfillment of everything that happened as a promise in the Old Testament. And he says, I am the bread of life. With me, you can be filled. If you're empty, you can be filled. But you need to take him in. You need to take him in. You need to consume him. Take what in? Jesus doesn't want you to just see his power. He doesn't want you to just know about his power. He wants you to know his power. He wants you to experience his power. It means right now, if you are in a spiritual wilderness, you can't just go to God right now and say, you know what? I'm in a bad place. I need God to help me to improve in my life. I need to come to him for more things, more wisdom, more knowledge. Because if you have nothing, if you've been brought to nothing, you've ever been in a place where you feel absolutely desperate and helpless, if you are in this place where you are empty and hungry and desperate, Christ is calling us to rely on him as our bread. Just like the Israelites clinging to that morsel that they had in the Old Testament. Just as these people in the wilderness who had no food and they were hungry and they were empty, Jesus leads them to grass and he says, you can have your fill. If you, are, if you have nothing, if you're hungry, if you're empty, and you rely on Christ as your bread, he says, I am that bread. Just as these people consume the bread, I am that bread. Consume of me. Take of me. He may be in the process of filling you today. He may be in the process of using you for God's work. Famous movie, Avatar, the most widely watched movie in all of history. You have this kind of made-up tribe, the Amatakayas, their leader confronts a human being in, his, in their midst, Jake, right? He's the main character, the protagonist in the story. And here he is, proud, and he's got privilege. And the Amanakaya leader says to him, it's hard to fill a cup that's already full. It's hard to fill a cup that's already full. And Jake responds at some point, he says, I am empty. What's the prerequisite to receiving the bread of life? You can't come to him and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I need just a little bit more. I can't, I'm, I'm here. I'm just lacking a few things. I want to improve. The way Michael Jordan goes to his trainer every year, he says, I'm the best, the greatest of all time, but every year I want to stay on top, so help me improve. You can't go to him like that. You got to go to him and say, I'm empty. I have nothing. I'm desperate. That's the prerequisite. In the Old Testament, you never had any leftovers for manna. You gathered only one day's ration, just enough. But here, Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. Centuries, there were prophecies of the bread that would come from heaven. Even in the books that are not a part of the Bible, the intertestamental literature, there's, there's prophecies of the bread of heaven. So centuries, for centuries, these Jews have been talking about the manna that will come. Here, Jesus says, I am the real bread and there were 12 baskets of food left over. Everyone is filled. Everyone is satisfied. 12 tribes, 12 disciples, God's people. Abundant power. This is an invitation for the whole church, for anyone who is hungry to come. Now, how do you know? How do you begin to know that God is working in your life? Verse 27. Mainly what Jesus is saying here is you're working for food that spoils. Do not work for food that spoils. Work for food that's going to endure. Come, come and receive the food that's going to endure you into eternal life. If you're holding on to things today that are preventing you from seeking Jesus Christ, what he's saying is rather than storing up these things, 
money and pleasure and just having fun or rationing these things out for yourself every day, just looking for the next thrill. If so, he says, it's going to be like manna. It's going to be here today, gone tomorrow. And if you try to store it up for yourself, it's going to spoil. It's going to rot. It's going to be unsatisfying. You're spoiling up maggots. You're storing up maggots. You're storing up death. Do you get that? And it's going to starve your soul. You're going to be left hungry because you think you've had some stuff stored up and it's going to spoil. That's what he's saying. But if you surrender things that you're storing up and you say, you know, I've been re- I realize that I've been seeking to increase my options, increase my potential, increase my satisfaction, increase my joy, and I'm working for food that ultimately is spoiling it. As a result, it's decreasing my options, decreasing my potential, decreasing my satisfaction, and decreasing my joy, and I'm turning to Christ as my potential, as my only option, as my satisfaction, as my joy. Then God's power will save you. God's power will fill you. And he says, enduring into eternal life. That's the meaning. That's the meaning of the miracle. Now, point two, the second point is, what is the teaching? In verse 27, Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, but that which endures to eternal life. And then in verse 35, he says, I am that bread of life. What does that mean? In the Greek, there are are several words for the word life. Most often, you see the word bios. In the entire creation narrative, the life that God gives us is that Greek word bios, which your body needs for food, to restore and to continue your body, to continue you functioning. That's bios life, physical life. But here, when he, says, when he talks about eternal life, he uses the word zoe. And the word zoe here represents spiritual life. New birth, satisfaction, quality, and joy. He's talking about the increase of your potential, just that. The increase of your satisfaction, the increase of your quality of life, the increase of your joy. He says, that is my power to give you that life. Your life will burst into an eternal satisfaction in Christ. Now, he's talking about the meaning of life, and he says, just as your body needs food, just as your body needs physical life, if you take of me, if you consume me, you need me for Zoe life, for that satisfaction, for eternal satisfaction, eternal joy. This is what you're designed for. Now think about it. Anytime you pursue, you put your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength into something to increase your satisfaction, what do you call that? That's worship. He's talking about coming to what you were designed for, becoming what you were designed for, that's going to give you joy. Recognizing your ultimate potential, that's going to give you joy. And he says, God the Father has placed the seal of his approval on me, on Jesus. That's what he says. And he says, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving that seal of approval to you. How does that shape you? A couple things. One, first you've got to take him in. You've got to digest the gospel. You've got to eat of Christ, digest the gospel, digest him as our bread. You've got to let the approval of God nourish your soul. It's got to go deep into your soul. It can't be superficial. You can't just chew on it. You've got to swallow it, let it do its work. That's what it means to shape you. It means no matter what you do, no matter how much you're suffering, no matter at any point in time how insignificant you feel, you can be faithful in what you are. 
You can be faithful in what you're doing because you know that you don't deserve the seal of approval. The seal of approval that you've received from God, from Christ, the seal of God's approval, you don't deserve it. That will develop and create a joy that is, that is undying, unending. Your present circumstances will not define you because you are rich in Christ. That's what it means. So you have this person who's taken in the whole truth of the gospel and it's shaped him. He's chewed on it. He's swallowed it. When you chew on it, you say, yes, amen, I believe this. And when you swallow it, you're letting it nourish you. You're letting it shape you. Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils. Eat for your fill. So when you come to Jesus and you say, if I just work hard and if I just try hard, if I just live a good life, I deserve to be blessed. I deserve to get God's approval. And if you succeed, you're going to be proud. You're going to be arrogant. And if you fail, you're going to be angry and you're going to be jealous because you believe in your heart, deep in your soul, God has disappointed me. Do you see that? If you're working hard and say, yes, I deserve God's blessing, you know because you how you respond to God not answering your prayers. When God doesn't answer your prayers and your heart hardens, you know. You just came to God for things. You didn't come to God as your bread. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the approval that you need. You know why you're working hard? Because you want acceptance. You know why you're working hard? You know why you're laboring? Because you want love. And you work hard and you sacrifice and you surrender. Sometimes we surrender a lot more than we should. Sometimes we stay in relationships a lot longer than we should because we're so desperate for satisfaction, for joy. Jesus says, I will give you the approval and the love and the, that you need. Don't work for food that spoils. Don't do that. The second thing it does is it fuels us. Once you take it in, once you consume it, it fuels you and it powers you. How does it do that? If you take Jesus in as your bread of life, Jesus says, you have the seal of God's approval. There's your status. There's the acceptance and the inheritance that you need. And you didn't earn it. You had nothing to do with it. It doesn't depend on you. And as a result, you can't lose it because it doesn't depend on you. That's going to fuel you. That's going to empower you. That's going to give you a confidence and a courage that you never thought you had all the way into eternity. eternity. That's what's going to happen. And as a result, there's no corrosion of the soul. Because there's no je- this is the end of jealousy. This is the end of snobbishness. There are days... When I can stand in front of you and I feel accused, I just feel accused. We all have days like that where we just stand, we just feel guilt and we just feel accused in life. And if you let that sit with you, if you take that and you, you swallow that, it's going to spoil you, it's going to rot you, they're maggots, it's going to create death in you. That's what's going to happen. Those fears will cripple you. That's inadequacy. Those fears will cripple you. That's insecurity. That's what's going to happen. There are days, I, I remember counseling somebody, um, and there was, there was one time, they said something incredibly insightful to me. Um, uh, this woman says to me, today I just don't feel beautiful, and I just want somebody to affirm that I am. I just don't feel happy with myself. I don't feel beautiful. The gospel gives you an amazing humility because he says, God looks at you and he's pleased. He's pleased to the heights That is the approval that you need. That's the reason why you want to feel beautiful in front of other people. That's the reason why we're working so hard and we're laboring to get other people's approval so desperately. The gospel gives you an amazing humility because you didn't work for that. You didn't earn that. He gives it to you, and yet it gives you an amazing courage because it doesn't depend on you. That means there's nothing you can do. Your sins will never uncall you. Your sins will never God will never look at that one last sin and say, I've changed my mind about you. 
I changed my mind. Oh, you did that? I changed my mind. That is not the Father. The gospel gives you an amazing humility and an amazing courage, a different kind of courage. That's Zoe. That's the quality of life. That's power working in your life. If you didn't earn it and you can't lose it, that's courage. You can take tremendous risks. You can make incredible sacrifices. You can surrender some amazing things that you've clung on to. Jesus says that's dynamic. That's Zoe life. Let that fuel you. Take it in and let it work in you. One of my favorite movies, 1984, Best Picture, Chariots of Fire, won an Oscar for Best Picture. It's about a Scotsman, Eric Little. He's a, he's a Christian who happened to be a gold medalist sprinter. True story. Christian gold medalist sprinter. And uh, he, what he did was he actually gave up his fame. He gave up his fame. He gave up his money. He actually was martyred, I believe, in China on missions. And um, he's the protagonist of the story. It's an amazing movie. But the antagonist, the juxtaposed version of Eric Little, who is this humble man, he, it's an amazing story. But on the, on the juxtaposed side of him is his opponent, Harold Abrams, who's got this chip on his shoulder living in an anti-Semitic society. And so he's got this chip on his shoulder, and he's arrogant and is brash because his arrogance and his brashness is what enabled him to win every time. And he's a skilled runner, and he's literally running for his life. He's literally running for his identity. It's why he's got to win, because if he loses, then his identity is crushed. And he explains himself just before his race. He says, there I will raise my eyes, look down that corridor, and I've got it's four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my entire existence. But will I? He asks, he says, but will I? Because he doesn't know where he stands. Later, he's talking to his friend Aubrey, and he says, Aubrey, you're a kind man. You're a compassionate man. You are a brave man. You are a content man. That is the secret. That is contentment. I'm 24, and I've never known it. I'm forever, I'm forever, uh, I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't know what it is I'm even chasing. That's what he says. In other words, he says, I'm working for food that spoils. I don't even know what I'm working for anymore. And it's spoiling. And he never knows where he stands, so he's always working, he's always laboring. It's why he needs to win. And he's experiencing the spoiling, he's experiencing the rotting, he's experiencing the maggots because as the moment of his race draws near, he says, I've known the fear of losing, but now I'm almost too frightened to win. He doesn't know where he stands. In verse 28, the Jews... They ask Jesus, what must we do then? They don't get it. You know, Jesus is talking about the bread that comes from heaven. You receive it. You take of it. You eat it. You let it nourish you. You let it power you. You let it shape you. When you take in the truth that, that you have God's seal of approval, see what it does as it goes deeper, deeper, clearing into your sinfulness, your insecurities, the things that you're clinging onto, the reasons why we sin. It's not so much the actions. The reasons why we sin is this distance that's created from God, the chasm. Why? Because we believe God is not enough. We believe Christ is not enough. He's insufficient. We think other things will suffice. They're going to increase our options and potential and satisfaction and joy when in reality they decrease our options, potential, and satisfaction and joy. And so Jesus says, you need to come to me as the bread of life. The Jews, they say, what must we do? They don't get it. How does Jesus respond? Well, you need to serve more. Serve more. Pray harder. Be good. Is that what he says? Verse 29, he says, believe. You can't do anything. 
you can't do anything, and that's the point. The religious and the irreligious. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in the church. If you've never been inside a church before, you're still working for approval. You're still working for acceptance. You're still laboring for love, and you're looking for it. And, and as a result, the spoiling and the rotting, it's universal. It doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. We're always looking to do something. But that's what leads to our idols that are rotting our souls. There are people in this room right now who are focused on our careers because we've been working and we're slaving for the approval of our boss. It starts at a very young age, and initially, as you're growing up at the age of three, four, five, you want the approval of your parents, and they tell you, oh, you're a good child. You're a good boy. You're a good girl. You learn what's good and bad. It goes into high school. That approval transitions. You become embarrassed of your parents, and you start to look to your friends, and you want their approval. And so where they go, you go. Where they stay, you stay. What they do, you want to do. That's ultimately what happens. And as you do that, you fall into things you probably would never have done. It goes against everything that you valued when you were younger. And as you fall into those things, you want approval, and it's not satisfying, which is why when we go to college, we start to look for their approval, and you want love. And that's why in this era of social media where everything is about angles, having the right angles and the right picture and the right look and the right filter, we're constantly looking for likes. We're constantly looking for approval. We're constantly doing that. We're constantly laboring. There are people in this room right now As soon as the service is over, you're going to check your Instagram to see what you lately posted to see how many likes you've got. And if it hasn't increased, we feel bad. There are people in this room right now. Me, you, we all do that, right? We all do that. Now, we're always working. We're constantly working. Jesus says, whether it's your money, promotions, annual reviews, your bonuses, honor from your family, it's going to cost you your satisfaction and your joy. I'm going to give you the bread from heaven. Verses 32 to 33 says, I'm going to give you the bread from heaven. There's the validation you need. It's given to you. Verse 35, he says, believe. To believe, what what does it mean to believe? It's to be shaped by a trust in a rational truth. That's what believing is. It's not saying leave your mind at the door. To believe is to take what you're thinking. To be able to say, yes, I can validate that this is true. And, I'm, and be shaped by it. That's what it means to believe. To be shaped by the experience of a rational truth. And he says to believe. What does it mean to believe? Verse 35, you will never hunger, you will never thirst. Verse 37, you will never be cast out. Verse 39, you will be raised up on the last day. Verse 40, he says you will have life eternal. There's your status. There's your options. You're worried about your future? There's your future. No matter what suffering we endure, there's your future. There's your potential. Life eternal, raised up with Christ, there's your freedom. There's the end point. That's the end. You know the bread at the ancient temple? The ancient temple, there was bread. It was called the bread of God. It was supposed to be a provisional fulfillment of that prophecy. But only priests could eat it. Today we're going to come before the bread, and we're going to be able to eat together. You know what that means? Anyone who takes of this bread is a priest. That's what that means. We're all priests. You are a royal priesthood. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you are kings and priests. That is, that is your status. That is, those are your, uh, that, that's your potential. Those, those are your options. That's your freedom. Anyone who eats of this is a priest. We're all clean. Priests had to eat. They had to consecrate themselves. They, were, they had to be cleansed before they ate. We're all clean. That's what that means. Do you get that? That's an amazing future. That's an amazing status. 
how do you eat of it? You got to get personal with Christ. You can't just come to Jesus for things. I don't know what you pray about regularly, but you can't come to Jesus just for things. You can't come to Jesus just for improvement. You can't come to Jesus as, as part of fulfilling your own agenda. You have to get real with Jesus. You have to do business with Jesus. You have to do, get deep with Jesus. You have to open up your fears, open up your sins, open up your shame, open up the things that are getting in the way of seeing Jesus clearly. You have to surrender these things, let these things go. And I say, wow, that's hard. You have a spirit that is indwelling, that has raised Jesus from the dead. There's your power living in you. Don't just chew on that. Dwell on that. Let it sink in. Let it nourish your soul. How does it happen? How do we apply it? Very quickly. In verse 41, the Jews, the Jews they grumbled because they didn't believe. Notice just a few chapters prior, in chapter 3, you have Nicodemus, who's a very respected Jew. He's got the status. He's got the education. And Jesus, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you know what? Everything you've studied, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever accomplished, everything you've ever acquired or attained, all the honor and respect that you're getting, it means nothing. You need to be born again and start all over. Can you imagine that? And yet Nicodemus, this man filled with status, just like these Jews, he doesn't grumble. He listens. He actually listens. That's an amazing thing. Jesus says, everything you've done means nothing. You have to be born again. You have to start over, and yet he listens. But here the Jews are grumbling. And because why? He says, they said, isn't this that guy? Isn't this the son of a carpenter? They're looking at his status. They're looking at the things that are getting in the way. They're looking at his status. They're looking at his pedigree. How do you come to Jesus to eat? It's two things. One, three things rather. One, verse 44 he says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. First, we have to understand that. In other words, you cannot experience God's power until you first see that you are powerless. Jesus says, I will feed them. Jesus goes to the disciples. He says, I want you to feed these people. They say, I can't. They've been, they just got back from working, laboring, performing miracles. And they said, they look at the magnitude, they look at the, the, the sheer size of the people, and they say, I can't. They're looking at how much it's going to cost. They're looking at what it's going to take. They're looking, where are we going to do this? Where's the provision? They say, we can't. Our natural state is to rely on our own strengths, even in our service. That's why we burn out. Our natural state is to rely on our own strengths, and we're always resistant to the truth that we are utterly helpless, utterly helpless, utterly powerless. In verse 44, that, that phrase, unless the Father draws him, the original language in that phrase is, it's not, I used to think that what that meant was that we're kind of stuck and the Father kind of draws us. And that's partly true, like kind of like drawing water from a well. But in actuality, the actual phrase draw, to draw him is synonymous with the image of a man who's being dragged to jail and doesn't believe he needs to go there. So he's fighting and clawing and holding on to things and fighting and angling his way, trying to put his hands and lodging it into the crevice and holding on, and the father's drawing him. That's the image. In other words, we're always resistant. We are always fighting against grace because we don't think we need it. We don't think we need it. We're constantly resistant to our need and to God's grace. Jesus says, listen, if you're here and you're moved, the Father may be drawing you. If you're here 
And you're saying, this is true. Do you think that even that insight came on your own? That's the Father drawing you. That's the Spirit actively at work. Why is this important? Everyone here believes that lying for the most part is a bad thing. That hiding from people for the most part is a bad thing. Everyone here, there's not a single person here that would disagree. If I were to say, hey, do you think deception is good? They're going to say, no one's going to sit here and say, yes. No one's going to say that. They're going to say, it's a horrible thing. Deception is a bad thing. Lying is a terrible thing. We should always tell the truth. We all believe that. We're all going to say that. Then why do people lie? Because lying exists, right? Lying exists here. Why do we lie? Why do we do that? When you lie, what are you doing? You're hoping to cover over something possibly to prevent what you think is a worse circumstance. That's why. That's why we lie. You're trying to prevent what you think is going to be a worse outcome. So at the moment, the consequence of lying may not look as bad as the consequence of this outcome that you foresee. That's why we lie. At that same time, in certain cases, if you tell the truth, there are obvious consequences of telling the truth sometimes. You're not going to hear things that you want to hear. You're going to hear things that you don't want to hear right? And so, and, and at the least, um, sometimes the things that happen will be damaging in your mind. In your heart, you're going to be like, wow, this is going to hurt. This is not what I want. This is going to ruin me. So, I don't, so rather than telling the truth, we lie. There's a battle in the heart every day. There's a constant, every day, every moment, there's a constant battle for your hearts. But if you, Jesus is saying here, if you've tasted the bread of life, The Spirit of God compels us because Jesus suffered the ultimate consequence. We know that whatever happens, the worst that could happen has already happened. Jesus died at the hands of a liar, of the liar, the deceiver, Satan himself. He died at death. That's what he did. So the worst consequence has already happened, separation from God. And as a result, separation from the church, separation from the body, anything that is of life. And so with humility... If you really take in the bread of life, you see that with clarity. You know that whatever happens can't ruin you, cannot ruin you. You're placed in a position where God is calling you to tell the truth, to maybe endure consequence. And you do that with humility, but you do that with boldness. And when you tell the truth, you know, um, it's, you're dragged against your desire to lie. You're dragged against You're saying, lying is what's going to save me. Covering over myself is what's going to save me. We do that every day. Think about your last date. Think about your last date. For for those of us who are single here, you've gone on a date. Think about the last date that you had. You lie unconsciously. Because the first thing you want to do is pad your resume when you're talking to your significant other. You want to pad your resume. You want to tell them things about yourself that probably are not true because you're never as good as you say you are. You see that? We lie unconscionably and unconsciously. We lie. That's what we do. We, to be able to uncover that, you're going against, you're saying, this is what's going to save me. This is what's going to give me life. This is what's going to satisfy me. If I can just get this person to love me, if I do these things, it's going to happen. We're trying to cover ourselves. We're trying to hide. We're trying to lie. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him against our will. The second thing we do, you got to put everything in his hands. The first thing you got to do, right, is you, you got to trust, first of all, that if, you're even, if you say, wow, this is making sense to me today, the Spirit is working. The Father is drawing you. The second thing is you put everything in his hands. In the narrative, imagine this. People are on the mountainside. 
Everyone is hungry. There's this poor boy, poor boy. He's the only one that came prepared. He had food. And he's, he's, like, he's like, everyone's hungry, but he's, you know that look where you're like, what do I do here? Do I go off to the side, eat by myself? He's got food. And then the disciple spots him. He says, you, boy, come over here, right? And he goes, oh, no. You know, they're going to make me feed Jesus with this or something like that, right? They come, they bring this boy over, and he's got five barley loaves. It's food for horses. Two loaves, of, two, two fish and five barley loaves. He says, I'm just a poor kid. You know, my mother packed this lunch. I'm, supposed to, I'm just supposed to eat this lunch. You know, what do I do? And what does he do? Jesus takes it away. He just takes it away. Sometimes you've got to lose the little that you have, the little that you've got. It's got to be taken away from you. That's harsh. That's a harsh reality. But can you trust? Can you obey? Can you trust his word? Can you trust Jesus' wisdom? Can you trust Jesus' power? Sometimes it's not even about losing, it's about waiting. You say, why isn't God answering my prayer? This is good. This is good for the church. This is good for me. This is good for people. Why wouldn't he answer it? What you're saying is, I'm wiser and I know better. Trust his word. Obey his word. Who is king? Trust, will you submit to him as king? Surrender to his wisdom, surrender to his power. Lastly, the bread has to be eaten. The bread has to be broken. The bread has to be consumed. Once it's consumed, then it circulates through your body and through a series of chemical and biochemical dynamic processes, an amazing process actually, it's going to turn into fuel for activity. This poor kid, he's lost the bread, but in essence, what happened was this. He became hungrier so that everybody else can become fuller. What does that remind you of? This little boy became hungrier, starved for a moment, so that everybody else could eat, everybody else could be full. And notice, he doesn't say, at least it wasn't recorded, hey, what are you doing? This is mine. He doesn't say that. Why are you doing this? He doesn't ask that. In other words, what the boy had to do was to place his story into the greater story. That's what we're called to do. Unbeknownst to this child, we have to place our story into the greater story of the gospel, the greater story of Jesus Christ. Notice, as his life, he's the bread of life. And he says, I have to be consumed. And as what was taken away from him, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, my bread is being taken away from me. My life is being taken away from me. My significance, my joy, my satisfaction, my worth is being taken away from me. And it has rejected me. It is turned away from me. In other words, what he's saying is, I am now in the wilderness. And I'm longing and I'm hungry. And he says, I thirst. And he says, I'm poor. Isaiah 53, it says, he is cast out, cast out from the land of the living. He's saying, my source of worth, my father, my seal of approval, my love has rejected me. And as a result, I am broken. I am consumed. I am spent. I am experiencing the ultimate dissatisfaction, which which is to be separated from God forever. Why did he do that? This This is the key. Why did he do that? Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus lost the seal of approval so that we could have God's seal of approval. Jesus experienced the wrath of the power of God so that we can experience the grace of the power of God. The bread of life was broken so that we could be healed. He was emptied so that we could be full. He was consumed so that we could be made whole. He lost power. Why? So that we can have power. Power against sin. Power against indwelling sin in our lives every day. Power to hope, power to trust, power to obey. 
Jesus lost power. Jesus lost so that we could gain. He's saying, my body is wasting away. My body is spoiled. I'm being torn. I'm being ripped apart. I'm being spoiled. I'm going to rot for you. That's what he's saying. That is your validation. That is the only validation that you need. The cross becomes your seal. Every time you look at the cross, you see God's seal of approval on you because he turned away from Christ. That is God being just. He is a just God. Do you see the love of Christ? Look at the compassion of Christ. Look at the grace of Christ. Look at the power of Christ because even death couldn't hold him down. He was raised again to life as the first fruits and he says we can therefore have life eternal in him. Do you believe that? Do you trust that? When you take in the gospel, there's your wholeness. It's going to lead to power. It's going to lead to action. You don't work to gain God's acceptance. You are accepted, therefore we can serve. You don't obey to get God's love. Then it's just like any other relationship. You have God's love, therefore we obey. And that's why there's satisfaction, and that's why there is joy. Let that reside in you. Let that empower you. Let that convict you of your sin. Let that give you power against sin. Let that drag you away from the things that you desire so that you can surrender and have peace. Will you do that? Will you chew on the gospel and let it go in deep? Look to the cross of Christ and let it nourish you as your bread of life. Let's pray.